You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man is a two-time felon. I work really hard and I've been a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Freedom Pact. Welcome back to the Freedom Pack podcast, my friends. Today on the show, we are joined by Dr. Chatterjee. Dr. Chatterjee is on a mission to help 100 million people feel fantastic by restoring them to optimal health. Dr. Chatterjee is a multiple times New York Times bestselling author, medical doctor, podcast host of the Feel Better Live More show, and his latest book is called Feel Great, Lose Weight. In this episode, we discuss principles for effective weight loss, what foods to eat, what foods to avoid, why diets don't work, why the food system is stacked against us, and much, much more. Before we jump into this episode, guys, Happy New Year! This is the first episode of the month. I am recording this introduction uh, the day before. It is December 31st when I'm recording this. Um, And yeah, I'm just so excited for this year, for what's going to come. Yeah, this is going to be a great year, guys. Um, I hope you enjoy this episode with the superb Dr. Chatterjee. Ladies and gentlemen, today on the show, we are joined by Dr. Rangan Chatterjee. Dr. Chatterjee is UK royalty, and we are delighted to have him on the show. Man, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Hey, Joe, thanks for inviting me. It's a real honor to be on your show, so uh, looking forward to this conversation. So it is such a pleasure. So um, I'm, as the, you know, our audience will know, this is a UK show. I personally came into your work. I, I would like to guess it's probably about four or five years ago when I watched the BBC, BBC show Doctor in the House. That show was inspiring, it was heart-wrenching, it was emotional, it was transformative, and everything in between. Uh, for me, that was British TV at its best. Um, I'm going to link people to an episode of that, which I, I re-watched on YouTube prior to this conversation. So I would love to know from your point of view, what was you know, making that show like for you? What sort of fulfillment did it did it give you? How did that sort of open your eyes? Yeah, thanks, Joe. It's interesting. Just last week on Instagram, I posted a trailer video because it was five years to the day since episode one went out. And I, I can't believe it. It was five years since the first episode of season one. And the truth is, mate, that that show fundamentally changed who I am as a person, but also how I interact with my patients. It was such a life-changing experience, right? To have the opportunity to live with and alongside families who had been struggling with health conditions for years. I mean, most of them had seen numerous doctors, numerous specialists, were already on medications, yet despite that, they were still struggling. So, The way I view health, which is let's look for the root causes, let's look for the various different aspects in our lifestyle that we can positively influence, 
And you will find out that actually you get such a big improvement in all kinds of what I call downstream symptoms. To go and do that in real life with a camera on you the whole time was enjoyable. It was stressful. It was, honestly, it was, it was one of the hardest things I've done professionally. It was one of the hardest things I've done because I thought, wow, I get to show my philosophy to 5 million people a week on BBC One. I don't want to let the philosophy down. I don't want to not help someone get better. And the week before it came out, one of my best mates, Luke, said to me on the phone, that's interesting, mate. Um, when I do my job, like no one watches me do it. But in seven days time, you've got 5 million people watching you do your job and see if you're any good at it. I was like, yeah, mate, I wasn't feeling that nervous. <laughs> I was really nervous. So there was a professional pressure that I put on myself because I thought, I know I can help these people. But personally, it took a huge toll. You know, I don't think people watching that. I mean, you, you sort of touched on it there. The intensity, the emotional ups and downs, that wasn't just for the families. That was also me. I remember one time, four months into, into shooting either season one or season two, I was sitting right there in my kitchen with my wife. And we had to have a really serious conversation. Sort of, she's like, well, look, I, this isn't really what I kind of signed up for. You know, I was on the road continuously for six months. Um, when I was at home, I was physically at home, but mentally, I was a million miles away. I was like, no. What's going on with that family? How, what can I do next? You've got to remember, I'm also having conventional wisdom being hammered into my ear saying, you know, I remember the lady with fibromyalgia who, who had seven or eight different diagnoses, anxiety, depression, irritable bowel syndrome, fibromyalgia, and a whole host of other things. And she'd been in pain for years and had been to specialists and was on painkillers. And I got her pain-free in six weeks. Right. And I remember at the start, I was told, oh, wrong. And, you know, we've got the best pain expert in the country lined up. We can take her to see there. They can alter the medications and we can really get her pain under control. I said, guys, I don't want to go there. So, well, why not? I said, I want to get her out of pain. I don't want to just get her on more painkillers. She goes, well, how are you going to do that? I said, I don't know yet, but that's why I'm doing this show. I want to find out if I can. And so I think what made the beauty of that show and why, you know, it's on YouTube now, or, the, or, or pretty much all the shows are on YouTube, um, the intensity, but the struggle I faced trying to get that sort of philosophy out on primetime mainstream television, it's still one of the proudest things I've done today, if I'm, if I'm honest. It wasn't a niche show on somewhere. This is, you know, 8, 9 p.m. on BBC One. It's like, okay, you know what? You want to see how to get people better without using medication and by changing aspects in their lifestyle? Here it is. Whether it's anxiety, depression, insomnia, type 2 diabetes that I helped a lady put into remission, you know, a bodybuilder with chronic pain and body dysmorphic um, issues, helping him get off painkillers in, you know, two, two and a half months. You know, thinking back, mate, honestly, it's still one of the proudest things I've ever done. It was unbelievable to watch. And what I loved about watching the show was I got the takeaway that really health can be transformed through simplicity. 
I mean, I remember you helped um, one woman who took her to a meditation class, simple things which people can um, do. Um, we often say on this show that complexity is the enemy of execution. And um, I would love to turn this to you now, specifically with your new book, Feel Great, Lose Weight, and the mission which you've been on through that show, through your work on the fantastic Feel Better, Live More podcast. You've sort of made it your mission to make health simpler so i wish could you talk more about your sort of mission to uh sort of reduce health to simple um easy to use sort of concepts because i think that's badly needed in the world joe first of all i want to commend you on that phrase because that's a phrase i think i'm going to sit with later you know complexity is the enemy of execution that's awesome honestly that that's such a beautiful phrase that i think in such a small amount of words it says so much and I think why I resonate with it so much is that's been my mission in health I think that's what my Instagram bio says at the moment making health simple yeah. I think we've overcomplicated health I think we've confused people over health I think people feel that I can either enjoy my life or I can be healthy and I think no no you can do both in fact when you feel better you live more Right. It's obviously that's the name of my podcast. It's what I really believe in. And it's interesting. You mentioned Doctor in the House. I'll just tell you a quick story, which I, I, I was thinking about yesterday. I can't remember which season it was in, but I think it was the first one. And I think one of the producers or the executive producer said, wrong and listen, on BBC One primetime, the message you communicate has to be understandable by an eight-year-old kid sitting on the sofa. And I thought, oh man, you know, I don't want to dilute my message. I've got so much to say, you know, I, I don't want to just denigrate it to, to that. But then the penny dropped. I was like, no, that's the skill. If you can communicate the messaging in such a way that an eight-year-old child understands it, it means on a personal, it means I really understand it. I own it. I fully get the complexity, which enables me to simplify and it means you can impact more people. How many people leave their doctor's office or surgery confused? Like, yeah, they kind of said something. I don't quite know. You know, you know we've got loads of medical jargon. You know, these words, the, frankly, the truth is there's no need for them, right? It makes us feel better. We've got some sort of code words that we can communicate with. But communication only works when the person you're communicating to understands what you're saying. So, I put the responsibility on me as a communicator. If, you, if that person's not understanding what you just said, you're not doing a good enough job. I never think, oh, you just don't get that. I think that's condescending. I think that's judgmental. So I put the, the pressure on myself to always communicate better. And I think, you know, this is my fourth book, right? So first and second books, you know, I'm really, really proud of, you know, I, I'm very lucky that they are commercially successful, which is never what's driven me. You know, if I was driven by commercial success, I would have made a lot of different choices, right? I've said no to so many TV shows over the last few years, all kinds of mainstream media opportunities. I'm like, well, that's not aligned with my mission. My mission is to keep health simple and to help 100 million people around the world over the course of my career improve their lives through helping them believe that they're the architects of their own health 
So I thought, no, it's not a line. I'm not going to do it. You know, I'm, I wasn't on TV for, for being on TV's sake. I don't resonate with the term TV doctor that sometimes people use. No, I'm not a TV doctor. There are doctors out there who can't wait to get on telly all the time and do their things, and that's fine. I ain't criticizing that. I'm not judging that. But that ain't me. I kind of like hanging out with my wife and my kids and seeing my patients and, you know, going for an ice walk. You know, I'm not interested in traipsing around the country doing TV shows unless it's aligned with my values and who I am. But the journey I've been on in book writing, and I really do think that my new one, Feel Great, Lose Weight, I think it's my best one yet. I, I've been on a quest to continually simplify. You know, the challenge with the third book, which is Feel Better in Five, is how simple can you make health? So in the, if in the first two books, I would, let's say, work up an idea over 10 pages and Feel Better in Five, it was like, well, wrong. can you give that argument in one page, in three paragraphs? And that's hard. It's really, really hard because you have to go, well, what can you leave out? What is the absolute essence? I think that's why that one has been a smash it all over the world. I think it's because of how simple it is. And I, I like to think I've done that in the new book as well. I've really tried to give people a holistic and rounded view of health really it's, it's, it's an interesting one for me although it's targeted really with the title at people who are wanting to lose excess weight in order to improve their health the truth is joe and i, I wonder if you thought this as well the truth is it's relevant for all of us even if you don't want to lose weight i think this book will help you because the title says it all feel great lose weight i'm going to help every single reader feel great within days of starting this, you know, with little daily habits that improve their physical health, their mental health, their emotional health. I'm going to help them eat better, not just, you know, what they eat, but also help them understand why they eat and tap into the emotional side of that or when they eat or how they eat. Are they eating healthy, whole food options, but they're scoffing it down whilst also doing their emails. So I really feel that actually, this book is so much more than weight loss, if I'm honest. It will help people, but it will help people. It will promote health and that weight loss is going to come if you want it to come as a consequence of feeling better in yourself. And so I honestly don't think a, a book on weight loss has been written like this one. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to write a book for a book's sake. I want to contribute something new and fresh to the world. And I think... I think what this book does is it helps every single... Look, I know this. Having seen patients for almost 20 years now, you can almost always help somebody lose excess weight and improve their health in a scientifically responsible and sustainable way once you help them find the right approach for them. And that's the key. This is not my plan. Do it my way. No, in the penultimate page, as I say... And this only came in the day before this went to the princess. I had the brainwave and I, I said to the penguin, I said, guys, this has to go in, right? I'm, I'm sorry, I know you don't want me to change it now, but this has to go in. And it's just before the conclusion. I can't remember exactly word for word, but I say, and when your friends ask you what plan you're following, you can tell them that you no longer follow other people's plans because you've been empowered to design your own. And that's what it's about. The book is about helping people understand themselves better, understand their behavior's better, and puts them in charge. Yeah, I hold their hand. I help you design that plan. 
But true health transformation in the long term, mate, only comes when people are in charge. You know, you can follow someone's plan for a bit to get you in the right place, but at some point it's got to go that the, the shift of ownership has to happen. You've got to be the one in charge. You go, no, I get it now. I understand my body. I understand, oh, right. I had crisps and biscuits on the sofa last night while watching Netflix, right? Okay, let me understand that. Oh, right, you know what? I was on Zoom meetings all day yesterday. I didn't go outside. I couldn't move my body. I had a row with my husband. Oh, so I was stressed and eating the crisps and biscuits helped me deal with the stress rather than I'm such a failure. You know, I can't believe it. I'm trying to follow this plan. I, I ate crisps and biscuits, you know, and I can't stick to anything. No, no, no. Let me help you there. There's this great exercise in the book called the freedom exercise, which frankly, I think would help any one of us. It helped me, right? I don't need to lose excess weight, right, for my health. But honestly, as I wrote this book, I start to apply some of the principles and it's helped me. So I, I'm very proud of it. And um, yeah, I mean, what, 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 I mean, what do you think? You, you've read the book, haven't you? I thought that it was, um, as you say, the alchemy of it. I mean, it was just so beautifully written. And I'll tell you the moment that I, I sort of thought I like this. It was when you attributed um, a line, I'm not sure what exercise it was, to Michael Pollan. And, and I'll share a little bit of my own um, sort of health journey. So when I first started this podcast, um, we sort of went on a journey um, and we got a lot of health experts on. There's been quite a few guests which we've had, which sort of um, go back and forth. BJ Fogg, for instance, he was on both our shows. Um, and uh, I, I started delving down the rabbit hole into sort of biohacking and things. And for about six months, I was completely swimming in information and new studies. And I sort of ended up in a worse place than I started. Should I be paleo? Should I be keto? Should I fast for, for seven days? Should I do this? Should I do that? And then I, I read Michael Pollan's book, The Omnivore's Dilemma. Yeah. And he said in it, um, eat food, mostly plants, not too much. And the simplicity of that sentence, it completely changed my entire approach to health. And when I saw that, I thought this book is so simply written, but there's so much power in each sentence and in, in your principles. So I'd love to turn this back to you and say, why don't diets work? Yeah, why don't diets work? Okay, so this is a big topic. So let's give the 30,000 foot view first. <laughs> sure. Of course, some people will go on a particular diet and find an improvement, right? So when we say that most diets don't work, what we mean is the research is quite clear that in, in terms of that, that it shows for most people in the long term, diets don't work. And I say to people, right, every January, it's a cliche that new weight loss books are kind of come out. I get it. I'm part of that cliche, right? Because I'm releasing this book and it comes out in the new year. But I would like to think, and I would bet that it is different from every other weight loss book that's going to come out in January. Now, I could be wrong. I hope there are more like it. But from what I can see so far, there aren't. Now, when we say diets don't work, I passionately believe that if you are someone who's trying to improve your health, you can go into your supermarket or onto Amazon or wherever you buy books 
and pick up any book. And if you follow the plan for two or three weeks, you're probably going to feel better. You know, it, because there's a lot of restriction, there's a lot of deprivation, there's a lot of, you know, you know, can you drop a dress size in two weeks? Yeah. But you know what? From seeing patients over 20 years, I'm not convinced that anyone really wants that. Because most people who have success on a short-term diet, most people, not all, I will say, by March, they're not only back to where they were, they're worse off than where they were. So it worked in January when they're raving about this diet. Oh my God, this diet's phenomenal. You've got to get this. You've got, you know, it's kind of, it's like the secret of the diet book industry, right? By the time you figure out that actually a few months down the line that it's not working so well, it's already been a big bestseller and it's made back at its advance and it's done really well, right? And, and I say that not with um, condemnation and judgment, just, I've just observed that over and over again because I see the patients who come in in March and April who tell me what happened in January and I see where they're up to and not only is their weight up and their health worse off but they damage their self-esteem they feel like failures they blame themselves it's the only industry where if something doesn't work we blame us we don't blame the diets we don't say that's the wrong approach to me we're like no we're failures and that's why I start the book the introduction I'd like to think is very powerful where I go this is not your fault, right? I explain, you don't, you're not weak. You don't have a lack of willpower. You are living in an obesogenic environment. You're living in an environment where everything around you is pushing you to put on weight. It's not about willpower. You could take hunter-gatherer ancestors who are trim and put them in 2020 or 2021. I reckon 60, 70% of them would become overweight because we didn't suddenly become weak and lacking willpower in the 1980s when obesity rates started started going up no the world around us changed now i don't want that to be powerless for people right i get it it's a hard environment it would be much easier if the environment around us made the healthy choice the easy choice and i advocate for system change with that but that's going to take time and i think we can also help people understand the little things they can do to make their own environment work for them. So, you know, I don't know. Do you know the Whole30 diet? I don't. I don't. I'm not sure I do. It's massive in America. It's one of the first paleo type diets. And one of the co-authors, Dallas Hartwig, is is a really good friend of mine. Uh, He's no longer with the Whole30 because he, well, there's many reasons. I don't want to speak for Dallas, but... For him, it was never about a diet. It was about an experiment, right? Mm. For 30 days, just see how good you could feel. Just understand what the food choices you're doing each day are doing to you. Just see what happens when you eliminate certain things, what your life is like, your energy, your sleep, your libido, your mood. Right? Just, just observe. And then afterwards, let's figure out how to kind of integrate the things that you want into your life it's not meant to be a kind of oh this is whole 30 approved this is not whole 30 approved you know and and it's really interesting that i think diets can work if you use them as self-experimentation to go oh is this way of eating compatible with me my ethical beliefs my cultural beliefs and my lifestyle because frankly if it ain't you're going to find it hard to follow in the long term so it's 
no, the, the point is, mate, you can go and look at studies, right? So I am diet agnostic, right? I believe, and I don't like the term low-carb diet because I think we're denigrating a macronutrient in the way that we did the same thing for fat. So, but it's not that I don't think they can work. Mm. You know, when I helped put that lady into remission from her type 2 diabetes on Doctor and House, I used what would be called conventionally a low-carb diet. Now, I don't use that term, so I don't like it. And I think it's here. See, I love simplicity, right? And here's the clash for me. Can you be simplistic and also true to the science? And that's hard to do sometimes because when you simplify, sometimes you lose the factual accuracy. Um, but I think one of the reasons low-carb diets are so successful for certain people is that's a very simple message. Okay, carbs are the problem. I cut down carbs. Boom. This is what happens. And I think, you know, really, I think it comes down to ultra-processed foods. I think that's the main problem in society because they make you eat more. They are energy-dense and nutrient-poor. So you eat them, you don't feel satisfied. You want to eat more of it. It affects the hormone leptin in the brain. And it makes you want to eat more of these things. There's addictive-like qualities to them. You know, I, I sort of go through all of that in the book. But the point is, is that if you go on a low-carb diet, most of the, the junk in our food supply are highly processed carbs. So actually, people who go on a low-carb diet, is it the fact that they've cut the carbs? Or is it the fact, or is the bigger factor that they've cut out most of the highly processed junk, right? Because there, there are societies in Japan, like Okinawa, where they have 80% carbs, right? And they are healthy. They're not overweight. They're not insulin resistant. They're not type 2 diabetic. They live to 100, right? In really good health. So we can't say it's just the carbs, but it could be carbs in the context of our Western lifestyles, right? So there is complexity there, but there's also simplicity. So you can have a trial on, there's, a, there's something called the broad study, right? One of the best studies I've seen on nutrition and weight loss. And it was a whole food plant-based diet. Some of the best six month results. And the, the point I'm trying to make without getting too, um, I don't want to be confusing, the, the conclusion is different diets work for different people. Just because your best mate lost weight on a keto diet, right, and is thriving on it, great for your mates. It, it may be brilliant for your friend, but that may not be the right approach for you. You know, we're all unique. We've all got different genetics. We've got different microbiomes, so different uh, combinations of gut bacteria within, within inside us. And there's really good data coming out now that, all of these things influence how we're going to respond to food. I had Tim Spetcher on my podcast recently talking about a lot of the data he's been publishing about a personalized approach to nutrition. You know, a sweet potato for me may give me no blood sugar spike. And for someone else, it could be a huge blood sugar spike, right? So it's going to have a different impact. So what I want with this book is to help people understand you don't have to join a camp, right? If you don't want to. You don't have to wear low carb or vegan on your, you know, tattoo it to your arm and make that your identity. It's okay to try different things and go, actually, you know what? This is the approach that I think is going to be sustainable for me, right? It may not drop me a dress size in two weeks, but actually it's going to be sustainable. And if I need to, and I want to, yeah, I'll do that over six months. But then actually over the next six months and the next six months, I'm going to continue getting better. 
that I promise you, mate, that's what most people I've seen want. They don't want short-term change. They, they might think they do, but actually they want life transformation. And I believe the tools in this new book are going to give every single reader the tools they need to transform their health, irrespective of whether they want weight loss or not. Did, did I answer your question? So much. I've got, I got thoughts pouring out of my all all of my uh, crevices i am um, i i got so many thoughts i want to jump in with by here um so you raised such an interesting point about how certain diets for instance you mentioned the low carb can work as a sort of elimination diet we've had a lot of people on the show talking about the carnivore diet for instance and i suppose that raises the question of it's not necessarily whether meat is good or bad it's whether that it sort of cuts out the packs of Oreos and whatnot. And uh, sorry, did you want to jump in there? I was going to say, listen, right, the carnivore diet is raising, uh, is getting um, more and more attention. And the truth is people are, are saying, listen, I had psoriasis, I had joint pain, I had all these autoimmune symptoms. And when I went to carnivore, they've all gone and I feel fantastic, right? You know what? I'm very open-minded. I believe that is happening. I absolutely do. And I do not have a bias, right? I believe if you have felt that and you feel better than you felt in years, I get it. It doesn't matter what the latest scientific study says. It's like, hold on a minute. When I eat like this, I feel great. I welcome that. Now, what I don't think we have on the carnivore diet yet is long-term data. Certainly, it may exist. I've not seen it yet, Right but I have some patients who are thriving with that way of eating. And actually on my podcast recently, I asked Tim, Professor Tim Spector, uh, because Tim is a big advocate of lots of plants, like the Michael Pollan, uh, the beautiful seven words that Michael Pollan says. Every, it's every writer's dream to come up with seven <laughs> words like that. Uh, you read that again, that is amazing. I wish I had written that myself. Um, and I put it to Tim. I said, Tim, what would you say to those people who are thriving on carnivore and feel better than they've ever felt. And you know what? I was really impressed with his answer. It's very much aligned with me. It's like, look, okay, fine. Um, maybe that's, you know, essentially what we were concluding is maybe that's the right approach for you right now. Maybe that's helped you eliminate a lot of the things that were causing problems. Maybe once you're feeling settled, maybe it's now time to start introducing a few more things, maybe some plants, maybe some other foods, just to see, is it all of the stuff you cut out? Or maybe it's just some of the stuff that you cut out that would cause problems, but you've, you're not sure what it is. So I think, sure, I validate, I, I recognize that experience. It may be that someone chooses to do carnival for life. Um, even if people are saying, we don't know for longevity, we don't know for long-term health. I am very respectful of an individual's right to make up their own minds on what they eat and how they choose to do it. Um, I think we should share that there isn't that much long-term data that's been studied well. A lot of people would say the benefits of plants are well-researched and well-proven. Some people would disagree with that, having said that. And I think I think the onus is just because it works for one month, and I'm not talking about carnival, anything, sometimes it's like a jolt it's like a reset oh man I feel human again I feel like I want to feel doesn't mean you have to continue that for the rest of your life maybe as your your body heals as your gut microbiome becomes stronger again 
then you can start to tolerate things that you couldn't eat before. Certainly, I found that in my own life, things that I couldn't tolerate five, six years ago. As I've worked on myself, my health, my stress levels, and as I've got stronger, more resilient, more robust, I can now tolerate some of those things. And I don't feel the same things that I used to. So, um, and, and I know a lot of doctors don't, I guess, don't publicly say this sort of stuff. It's like, it's very much following the conventional narrative or they've chosen which camp they belong to. And I understand that. I've just realized I don't want to belong in a camp. I don't think my job is to belong in a camp. My job is to help the person who comes in to ask for help. If they want to be vegan, right? My job is to help them as best as I can around their decisions. If they're saying, I cannot eat animal products because I, um, I'm all for animal welfare and it just doesn't agree with me morally and ethically. Okay, cool. I need to make something work for you in the context of that. But if you don't have that, or maybe I've got a different approach. And, you know, and I will also recognize that a lot of people have a problem with the carnivore diet from a planetary and environmental perspective. And that's another rabbit hole we can maybe go down at some point or on another episode of your show. But I think I am mindful of that as well, that a lot of people really have a problem with that. I, and I think that, you know, whatever someone's opinion of, um, whether they're meat, whether they're a meat eater or a vegan or a vegetarian, I think that we're um, the different connoisseurs of different approaches come together. Is that the real enemy is sort of processed, or as you call in the book, blissy foods, which I, which I sort of love that term. So I wonder if you could talk about what sort of impact blissy foods are having on the sort of um, signals. I think you give this great metaphor of. Um, like a car fuel tank. And I wonder if you could, you mentioned the 1980s of, you know, where sort of obesity rates rocketed. So I wonder if you could sort of talk about why they are sort of wreaking havoc on our health, if you will. Yeah, it's, it's such an important area. And I spent a long time rewriting this section of the book over and over again. So I felt I've made it as simple as possible for people to understand. And this whole concept of food addiction is very controversial, right? A lot of people say food cannot be addictive. You know, we need food to live. We don't need drugs to live, for example. And so I always try and take a pragmatic approach. And as I say in the book, okay, look, let's let the scientists argue about the intricacies of whether food is technically addictive or not. But let's get back in the real world and go, well, it's clear that certain foods have addictive-like qualities. You know, I'm interested in real-world results. I'm interested in what actually helps the person in front of me in my clinic, irrespective of what the trial says, because the trial doesn't always translate to real life, which is why evidence-based medicine is not just trial evidence. The true definition of evidence-based medicine is in the middle of three things. Best available uh, research evidence patient preference, and clinical expertise. Somehow we believe it just to be external published evidence. That's not evidence-based medicine. That's one third of evidence-based medicine. The other part is what does the patient want in front of you? And what has my experience as a clinician over 20 years of seeing tens of thousands of patients, what feeling am I getting here? What do I think might be the right approach for this patient? And I think that's something a lot of people don't understand. You see this, honestly, you see this a lot with um, 
a lot of the junior doctors, the ones who've just come out of medical school and are building big Instagram profiles and social media profiles, and their heart is in the right place. But it's very clear to me that just wait until you've done another five years of seeing patients or 10 years or 15 years, and you'll soon find out that what you get taught in medical school is 10% of the picture. There's something about that interaction in real life with people's real life stresses that actually the trial doesn't tell you how to handle. Um, so I feel I'm a real world doctor, not like a, um, it's not that I don't read scientific journals, I do. Do you know what I'm trying to say? I yes, kind of feel yes. that's what's more important to me. So in terms of your question, there's a hormone called leptin. Okay. Um, there's many hormones that I talk about in the book, you know, not too many. I, I talk about uh, leptin, insulin, and cortisol as three really important hormones in the body that we need to understand. And I talk about how you can use your diet and your lifestyle to positively influence those hormones. Because if those hormones are working well, you'll stop eating when you're full, right? You don't have to use willpower if those hormones are working well. So I try and teach people how to send the right signals to your body through everything you do each day that are going to help make losing weight and regaining your health as effortless as I think it can be. So certain foods, um, certain foods really affect leptin, but also something called dopamine, right? And what they do, I'm really trying to keep this simple for people, is that they teach you to repeat a certain behavior, right? So if you're feeling hungry and you eat one of what I call these blissy foods, these, these foods that really drive up these hormones, if you eat that and it satisfies your hunger with a big boost of that hormone, you're then treating and you're, you're then uh, registering a pattern in your body that, oh, next time I'm hungry, I want to repeat that behavior because that actually gave me calories. You've got to remember, we are hardwired in our bodies to stop us from starving, right? That was the biggest problem for us in evolution. It wasn't eating too much. It was not eating enough. So we're hardwired to prevent that, to go, you know what? Oh man, could there be a problem? I'm hungry. Am I going to run out of food? Is there going to be a, a, a fast coming up? Let me acquire high energy dense, uh, uh, you know, high energy calorie dense foods. And so often we start to get to that position where these hormones get released, even from the smell of that food or just the sight of that food. And, and I, I give a case study in the book of one of my patients when they'd be driving home from work, right? They were trying to, in inverse commas, be good with their diet, right? They were trying to. But what ends up happening is that on a, and this is, I don't know if this is what I say in the book or not, or another patient that's come to mind, but they'd be driving home and they would be going past a roundabout and then probably leaving work about 7 p.m. This is, you know, pre-working from home. Yeah. And they, there was a couple of fast food restaurants, it was KFC, and there was a strong smell coming through it. And the patient says to me, listen, I just, I get overwhelmed with hunger at that roundabout and I'm hungry after a full day's work, I just can't resist. So I, I'm trying to do my best, but at that point I will just pull in and I'll make an order. And I know I shouldn't be doing it. And I know I don't want to be doing it, but I can't help it. That's because hormones drive a lot of these decisions, right? So that 
conditioning and behavior had been done so many times that just the smell of that released that hormone in the brain, which meant, you know, I really want that. I've got that deep craving. And I'm sure people listening to this, Joe, right now, I reckon a few people will go, and I know that feeling when I pass the chippy or any one of these fast food restaurants. I, I smell hold my that. hands up. <laughs> yeah, but when you understand that that's not you being weak, right? That's because your hormones are driving that because of past behaviors and experiences. You take the pressure off yourself and go, okay, I can either try and use it well, so I've got a couple of strategies. I can either take something with me or keep some like an emergency snack of, I don't know, some nuts or some olives or some carrot and hummus with me so that I'm like, okay, in that moment, I'm going to do something else that's going to stop me doing that. Or as I did with one of my patients, I said, well, what about if you took a different route home? They're like, oh, yeah, it's going to take me 10 minutes longer, but I could. I tell you, for that patient, best thing they ever did. They didn't have to use willpower. All they had to do was avoid that biological kind of hardwired drive to, to push those hormones up. And suddenly they're getting back, eating a home-cooked meal every night, improving their health, getting better sleep. And the side effects of that is sustainable weight loss. So um, did that quite answer your question? I was just trying to make it relevant for people. And it's just a simple thing that people could do. Instead of fighting these, these biological signals, it's like, well, okay, maybe for 20 years, I have conditioned myself to do that. Maybe trying to undo that conditioning in January is going to be tricky. So maybe I take the pressure on myself and I just avoid that situation. Boom, you've solved the problem. And then by reinforcing new behaviors over the coming weeks and months, you start to change the programming in your brain. Do you know what I mean? So it's, it's and, and again, may, that may not be the right approach for everyone. But if that's your problem, maybe that's an approach that might work for you. I think BJ Fogg would be very proud of uh, that approach, who gets an honorable mention in the book as well. I would love to, because um, I appreciate we've got about 18 minutes left. So I want to get to the sort of solution oriented part. And obviously we gave Michael Pollan's uh, sort of golden rules earlier. I'd love to turn this to you and say, open up the floor and say, what would Dr. Rangan Chatterjee's golden rules of eating? I know you're diet agnostic, but are there some principles, some underlying philosophies which we could take when we're being mindful of what we're consuming? Yeah, look, I think if you really cut through all the noise and the battles about which diet is better, and you observe long-living populations around the world, there, there are actually some pretty core principles I think we can all agree on. So, you know, minimally processed food as much as possible. What does that mean? It kind of means, you know, meat that looks like meat, fish that looks like fish, vegetables that look like vegetables, fruits that look like fruit, nuts that look like nuts. You know, it's real food. You know, some of you don't like that term. I like it. I feel a lot of my patients really understand that. If you don't like it, that's completely fine. I'm not saying it has to work for everyone, but I like the phrase eat real foods. I think it makes sense to certainly the people I've spoken to in my life. So, you know, when you're picking up a packet in the supermarket, look at the label. It is amazing how many of us don't look at labels. I look at the label on every single thing I buy. Now, as a good rule of thumb, if it's got five or less ingredients in it, it's likely to be 
a minimally processed food. This doesn't work in all cases, of course. If it's got more than five ingredients, it's likely to be a highly processed food. Now, that's just a simple thing that can help you. And what's interesting is if you go to the supermarket and pick up an avocado, there's no ingredient label. You pick up an apple, there's no ingredient label. You pick up, you know, do you know what I mean? There's kind of like real whole foods that don't tend to have ingredient labels. And if you just focus on that, you will get so many health improvements beyond weight. You will feel differently. Your hormones will be better, will, will be more balanced. You'll have more energy, better focus, more cognition, better sleep, improved mood. We know, we know from data now that actually your diet plays a huge role in many cases of depression. There's a great study from uh, Professor Felice Jack in 2017, randomized control trial that showed people who already had moderate to severe depression when they went on what they called a modified Mediterranean diet for 12 weeks, they had a significant remission in depression compared to the other group, right? That is diet, right? So, so diet is not just about your weight. So back to the rules, minimally processed food, right? I think another good rule is you really want 12 hours in every 24 hours where you're not eating, Right now, let me just break that down for people. 50 years ago, that would have been the norm for pretty much every human on this planet, right? 12 hours in every 24 hours. I mean, maybe from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m., you're not eating, or 9 p.m. to 9 a.m., or 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. Hopefully, you're sleeping, right? I mean, you can eat all the food you want within 12 hours. I think that's a really simple rule that I see have so many knock-on benefits because that's not really focused on what you eat. It's focusing more on when you eat. And you get a lot of what I call ripple effects from that. Often your digestion is better. Often your sleep is better. Often irritable bowel syndrome symptoms get better. And there's some good data suggesting it improves your athletic performance as well. So, you know, depending on what people's goals are, I think you may find that all of them are met by doing that. One of them that I I love in this book, and I have a few case studies around this, is uh, dinner for breakfast, right? Don't know if you remember that case or not, but I've had many patients who used to start their days with um, what they thought were like healthy granolas, right? And they didn't realize that they're having their healthy granola first thing in the morning, but because of the sugar content and because of the blood sugar roller coaster it puts them on, they're fighting hunger all day, their concentration and mood goes off. And by 3, 4 p.m., they're like shaking, right? Absolutely, they're shaking. And I remember one, one early patient who I said, listen, what do you, you know, we reframe it. So they said, okay, well, why don't I try having what I have for dinner? I'll make a bit more and I'll have that for breakfast. So this particular patient started each morning with roast vegetables that were done the night before. They were just big, big ton of stuff, put in an oven tray, put in the oven, really labor, um, very light on labor, very easy to do with goat's cheese on the top literally was the one change that changed everything. So I actually didn't think I was struggling at work, but my concentration and focus has gone through the roof. I'm getting so much more done. That patient didn't want to lose weight. They just wanted to improve their health and well-being and thought, why am I hungry all the time? But actually the spare tire around his waist just suddenly started going. And he wasn't even trying just from having dinner for breakfast. So I think that's another tip that I sort of go into detail in the book. Um, protein, right? One of the tips in the book is power up with protein. Incredible how beneficial this can be for some people. Often we are 
you know, people who are trying to lose weight, Joe, I don't know if you've seen this or not, but sometimes they, they're restricting so much that later on in the day, they are just starving. And then they just binge out because I'm like, no, no, I'm trying to be really good breakfast. I'm going to be really good for lunch. I'm going to avoid that by 4 or 5 p.m. Ravenous. And then it all goes wrong in terms of what they had planned to do. And protein is a really powerful macronutrient in terms of what we call satiety. So we know that protein is the most satiating out of all the macronutrients. So that means protein, fat, and carbs. Protein is the most filling. So actually, for some people, if you just up your protein intake a little bit, and you know that could be fish, it could be eggs. If you're a vegetarian, it could be tofu, it could be lentils. Uh, you know, if you're a veg- if you're sort of a vegetarian and not a vegan, it might be cheese. Right? If you can up your protein intake, you often find that you are fuller for longer. So there's a section in the book called Power Up with Protein. I think one's called Quench Your First. Quench quench your thirst and this is some good data saying if you have a glass of water right half an hour before a meal you end up eating less at the subsequent meal so what i love about things like this is you're not trying to fight hunger or willpower or it's like hold on what if you have that then often a when we feel we're hungry we're actually thirsty i know i get that a lot sometimes i really want to i'm like oh i've hardly drank any water today and when I drink a glass of water, I'm like, oh, I'm not hungry at all. So, I mean, these are just a few little tips that I think are helpful for people. Um, can I mention that freedom exercise? Because I think oh, it's please, please. Yeah. One. Yeah, the please. other thing, if anyone's listening to this and they say, yeah, doc, I've got loads of really bad cravings. I really want you to stop and think for a minute because the question for me is, when you're craving food, or when you think you're craving food, is it food that you're really craving? And what I mean by that is, and this is, you know, I was, I was very happy when I, when I wrote this line in the book, it's like, <laughs> for most of our evolution, we've eaten food to help fill a hole in our stomachs. Now we eat food to fill a hole in our hearts. And I really feel that people really sit with that I think it will resonate with a lot of people. So in these days, we often, when we're bored, we eat. When we're lonely, we eat. When we're stressed out, we eat. When we're in front of Netflix and the sofa, we eat, right? We're not always hungry. We're certainly not necessarily hungry. We, We certainly don't have a physical hunger. Often it's an emotional hunger. So the freedom exercise, and I know it's on page 93 of the book because I referenced it, I think, 10 times in the entire book. So I kept putting page 93, page 93, page 93. So it's imprinted in my head. I think it's on page 93, right? Unless they changed it. I'm just looking now. Yes, it is on page 93, right? And it's got the three Fs in it. And this is all I'm asking people to do. The three Fs are feel, feed, and find, right? So it's dead simple. Again, this comes back to simplicity. I had written this exercise up a different way and I thought, no, it's not simple enough, wrong, and it's not catchy enough. I want people to remember this when they're out and about. And again, the day before it went to print, I changed it. It's like, got it, it's the three Fs. So feel as next time you have a craving, just pause for a second. And just feel into that. What are you feeling? Is it hunger? It may be. Or is it the fact that you just had a row with your partner and you feel a bit stressed? Or that the kid's bedtime has gone on a bit too long? Or that you've had a crap day at work and this is your little bit of 
me time, reward to yourself. You know, the first step is feel. So just write down how you feel. You don't have to change it, but without awareness, you are never going to be able to change anything in the long term. So you, 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 you write out what you feel, and then you might go and eat it anyway. The next F is feed. Write down how food helps you feed that feeling. Ah, I had around my partner, I felt stressed, I felt unloved. That box of chocolates made me feel good. Okay, cool. Don't beat yourself up. Just go, okay, that's why I'm doing it. Okay, I felt stressed and chocolate helped me with that. The third F is find. Now that you're aware, can you find an alternative behavior that's not food to feed that emotion? So, you know, if you're stressed, if you've had a, you've got a feeling that stress in the evening and you want chocolate, maybe some days you want to have that chocolate, right? And there's an exercise in the book to go, do you want the whole bar or maybe one bite will actually be all that you need, you know? So there's lots of exercise to help people, but maybe it's something else. Maybe you run a bath for yourself. Maybe you go into a different room and read a book or put on one of your favorite tunes. Maybe you, you pull up YouTube and do a, a five or 10 minute yoga sequence. Maybe, you know, you get your skipping rope out and do two minutes of skipping and you burn off that stress. I'm not prescriptive about what people should do. I want to help people understand themselves and go, oh yeah, you know, I always eat when I'm stressed. Or when the kid's bedtime has gone on for 40 minutes, I always then, you know, feed that feeling with biscuits. So, and this really, although it's written around food, the truth is, mate, it helps us in any behavior. If you spend too much time on Instagram, do this exercise. If you spend too much time on YouTube, do this exercise. If you drink too much alcohol, do this exercise because you'll gain an understanding of who you are without judgment, without shame, really logical decision-making, which is going to allow you to change. I love it, man. I love it. Honestly, I have such enormous admiration for you. I'm so happy you've released this new book. My last question for you today, with the way we sign off all of our podcasts, before you tell these guys where they can connect with you and your, your work and about the book, is what makes a life worth living? That's a great question. What makes a life worth living? From what I've seen in the many patients I've had the privilege of looking after, from what I've experienced as a human being with at least 43 years on this planet so far, what makes a life worth living is connection, real heart-to-heart connection. Who do you have in your life who you can truly connect with, who you can be honest with, who you can be your real self with? Because that's what we're missing. That's what we're missing in society. That's what so many of us are missing, real connection, not fake connection, not a manicured image of who we are that we present on Instagram or we present in our job. No, no. What are those relationships you have where you can be truly you? You can take the masks off. You can take the pretense off. You're like, this is who I am, warts and all. Do you want me? Do you love me for who I am? And I've realized more and more that this is at the root 
of happiness, fulfillment, calm. But maybe this is at the root of health. Because a lot of the time, the behaviors we engage in, alcohol, four hours on Instagram, biscuits in the evening, they're simply a compensation for the fact that we don't feel loved for who we are. We don't feel connected. And so what is it for me? That is what I value the most. That is what a life worth living is about. Meaningful connections. Nobody on their deathbed says, I wish I'd worked harder. I wish I'd taken on more projects. It's always the same. I wish I'd spent more time with the people I loved. That's one of my favorite answers, man. Man, tell these guys about the book and where they can connect with you. Yeah, so the book is called Feel Great, Lose Weight. I'm really proud of it. I think if you want to lose weight to help improve your health, I think there's nothing like this book out there. I think it really will help you find the tools for you. But you know what? If you don't, but you want to understand yourself better, you want to understand food better, I think the book's going to help you as well. It's in all the usual places, the bookshops, on Amazon. Um, you know, if you want to connect with me, best places are probably, you know, if you're on social media, I am on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Instagram's probably the main place these days. It's at Dr. Chatsky, which is D-R-C-H-A-T-T-E-R-J-E-E. And, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have a, a podcast like yourself that comes out every Wednesday. It's called Feel Better, Live More. It's pretty easy to find. And, um, yeah, more hopefully wisdom like this on that show. Man, thank you so, so much for coming on the show. It is such a pleasure to speak to such UK royalty. Hey, Joe, honestly, you know, that that you've been a wonderful host. You've asked brilliant questions. It's been a real honour and... Uh, I thank you for giving me some time on your platform to spread my message. Well, guys, that wraps up episode one of 2021. Uh, yeah, this is going to be a great year. I truly, truly believe that. I hope that everybody listening, I pray this is the best year of your life. Um, so, yeah, so if you want to interact with us going forward, we would love if you would leave us a five-star iTunes review. We have a healthy, wealthy, and wise newsletter, which goes out once per week on a Monday. Um, And we also have a YouTube channel. Uh, The YouTube channel is starting to grow quite nicely. Uh, We post all of our episodes now in video format on that channel, as well as all the audio platforms. Uh, If you want to go and check out the video formats of our episodes, please do. YouTube.com forward slash Freed Impact. And when you're there, hit the subscribe. I will see you on monday i had to think about that <laughs> i will see you on monday for the next episode happy new year guys let's make this a great year